you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Welcome to the NFL Legends Podcast, an NFL podcast for the players, by the players. Here is your host, 14-year NFL veteran and Hall of Famer, Aeneas Williams. Welcome, everyone, to NFL Legends Podcast. This is Aeneas Williams hanging out now with Steven Jackson, who's probably has cut off about at least five pounds off the top of his head. We'll talk about that a little later. And then Ryan Leaf. Ryan, so glad to be with you and Steven. And this is just a podcast where we just have, have a conversation. We converse. And we want legends, former players, to just be able to tune in and, and learn from each other's story. The unique thing about us as athletes, our transitions may all be different. But make no mistake about it, we probably have all had similar emotions. Whether we had a bank load of money or we left the game with very little. And so just organically, just share your part. What, how is it, what's your current status like? This current, starting with you, Ryan, what's, how would you describe your current status? Well, my current status is very good. I mean, it's a peaceful, unchaotic life, which is you know, something I strive for for a long, long time, but, but, but never could find. Uh, I didn't leave the NFL on, on the best of terms. I was tired of being kind of beat up metaphorically and, and actually physically and not meeting my expectations of they were pretty high with what the draft does and everything like that. You get labeled these, these certain things, the bust being one of them, and you just almost want to run and hide. And I never felt like I was valuable enough to want to be around former players. I didn't think I fit in that group. Like I just, I wasn't successful in my eyes. So until this Legends community revealed itself to me, I didn't think I was worthy to be around guys that were successful in that league. Where I am now because of what the Legends community has brought to me and how I've effectively made different choices and changed my behavior uh, is a big reason why I'm able to sit in front of you and talk to you about this. The Legends community, how? How did you connect? How did that happen? Yeah, I had no idea that it existed. I was going to an NFLPA um, health screening up in San Francisco at the Super Bowl two years ago to do uh, one of those free um, checkups. Um, two years ago? Yes. So, so hold up, hold up. Before two years ago, what was going on with Ryan? Well, Prior to- I was in prison Right. Yeah, for a while. Um, I had no connection with the NFL at all or really my uh, union either. I just, I distanced myself from it and I also resented the fact that no one had reached out to me. I was like, you know, if they they weren't reaching out to me, I wasn't going to ask for help myself. Mm -hmm. And so when we were there in San Francisco, I got done with the medical screening. They said, by the way, there's this this event. They have a little lounge over here for just former players. Um, You should go check it out. And I said, okay, and I went. I walked into the room and I immediately saw six of my former teammates wow. that from the different teams I played at, Work Done, Rocket Ishmael, 
these guys were in the room right there and the, the light that lit up on their face when they saw me and the welcoming nature of the whole room and everything just transformed my that guard that was up of resentment of the NFL or resentment of uh, former players uh, or and then like the devaluation of who I was uh, as a person uh, immediately disappeared and I recognized that we were all just you know still flawed just flawed human beings who used to play football Absolutely. in that moment now trying to be better and better everything around us and that that was a cosmic shift for me on that day I remember I was there I remember the buzz in the room we were so excited to see Ryan I mean if that was the initial reason for the lounge that guys were literally better come because I talked about earlier in the earlier podcast Many times guys separate. I mean, just get away from the very thing that we've been a part of pretty much all of our lives, right? We grew up in team atmosphere, and so it's counterintuitive for us. So what good could come out, really, of us really totally separating versus finding a way to create this structure uh, going on in our lives of transition? I appreciate you sharing that. Steven, is, both of you guys also, first-round draft picks. That's the other interesting <laughs> thing. You know, number two pick in the draft, and then, Steven, you were number 24. 24 taking uh, Marshall, Falk, and I's community locker. I was empty <laughs> prior to you being drafted, and all of a sudden they put this rookie right next to us, man. Tell us about your story. Well, I think, like Ryan, um, I, did not, I wasn't aware about the Legends community. The first time I became aware of it, I was at actually Orlando's Pace Hall of Fame induction. And I assumed that that was just something, that lounge that you're you know, referring to was for the Hall of Fame and the future and Hall of Famers and, and those people. I just really confused the, the name, the term, the legends. That's when I was introduced to it. Still didn't think much of it. It still didn't click to me. I'm not really uh, attached to the league anymore, but like we both know, we grew up loving the sport. And it just felt so naked and so isolated not to want to watch a game, not to go to a practice. And when you do turn on the TV and if the game's on and you see someone you either play with or against for so many years, you kind of get a bitter taste in your mouth, you know. Tell me about that bitter. Well, that bitter bitter taste is, that bitter taste is you start reflecting, for me at least, you start reflecting on your your decisions in in your career. You know, for so many years in St. Louis, we we were just bad. We were just awful. And you feel like, you know, did I not speak up enough or did I not ask to be traded? You know, was I too loyal to someone or an organization that wasn't necessarily probably loyal to me? And then in, that, in my case, I, after nine years of St. Louis, I then moved to Atlanta to have the same losing taste that I, I thought I was <laughs> running away from. Right? So then you're like, man, well, should I have just stayed in St. Louis? <laughs> At least I know they'll give me the ball, you know? <laughs> you know, and it's just all those real things, you know, as competitors and as people that not only you want to have, you know, great success individually, but ultimately it's the ultimate team sport, the game of football. And I just wasn't finding what I thought I was looking for. So when my last season with Atlanta Falcons, I had signed a three-year contract, and I was, that was the end of year two of it, and Mike Smith and his staff got fired. So... Ultimately, I didn't think my last game was my last game. And I never, I got a phone call that offseason saying, we're going to let you go. I was on vacation. I said, well, if you could do me a favor, let's hold off on, you know, making this formal while I'm on vacation. I don't want to deal with the phone calls while I'm overseas. When I get back in the States, you know, we can make it formal and we can make it publicly known that I won't be back with the Falcons. And, you know, they did that and that happened. So 
I didn't go into offseason not knowing if I was going to be picked up again. It was just really difficult. My agent was sick. My father was sick. And I was in a, and I was in the days of what, where to go next. Fast forward to December of 2015, I get a phone call from Bill Belichick. Now, I haven't played football for a year. And I told him no initially. I said, Coach Belichick, all due respect, I love you. I've always dreamed of playing for you. But these guys are in the tip-top shape. They can get ready for playoff time. And I'm sitting here shopping for a Christmas tree, you know? (laughs) (laughs) It don't get more normal than that, right? Right, right. (laughs) He goes, Steven, this is how he he got me to take the the plane ride. He goes, Steven, you owe this to yourself because 10, 15 years from now, you want to look back on the couch and say, what if? I got on that plane, and I took up his offer. I made the team. You know, I had to do the tryout. Made the team, and I had a crazy six weeks. Went to the AFC Championship. I had, that was my first playoff game since my rookie year with you guys. Wow. So I had an 11-year drought of not even being in a playoff game. Wow. Didn't go to the AFC Championship and lose. And, uh, but you know what I always say about that? I know I was so bitter, I feel like God gave me closure. Because right. going into that game, coming out that tunnel in Denver, I told myself, win, lose, or draw, I know I'm saying goodbye. Wow. Yeah. I, right. got, I got cut on my honeymoon. Wow. I was in a boat in the middle of Tahitian waters, and I got released. Wow. On your honeymoon. Yeah. yeah. So you're going through this, this whirlwind, I mean, all the way from drafted, right? Yeah. You know, just remember interviews and all those things. How did you process this, Ryan? Getting cut? Like process that? getting cut? Just a... The whole well, we were, what's going through your mind, yeah, well, right? We, we were, we were so unhappy in San Diego that it turned into even a bigger celebration. Actually, we ordered bottles of champagne, and you know, we thought it's we a were, lot of popping bottles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that may have been the problem, right? Uh, you know, and then sure enough, I got claimed on waivers by Coach Dungey uh, the next day. So it was Tampa. Yes, really? really, really good news. I mean, it was life changing for me. It was taught me how to be a professional, really. Wow. So it, was, it ended up being really, really, really good news at that time. But I also, for a moment, thought, am I, am I, am I ever going to play this game that I wanted to do since I was four years old again? I mean, I, that, that crossed my mind, like, is it over? Did it just end like, like this, and now I have no say in what happens next? And which we all don't. I mean, we never do. Steve? Yeah. Uh-huh. And I was going to say, too, um, to Ryan's point, when you're young and healthy, yeah. right? I always envisioned that when my last game or my last season is because I was just battered and beat up. We're done. I'm done. I'm thrown in the towel. But to walk away and have the, uns- the uncertainty and you still healthy mm. in a sense of, you know. Sure. Yeah. You know you can you do know, this. Yeah. yeah. It's not multiple surgeries here, there, and everywhere. And to just have nobody call your phone. It's just, yeah, it's, you feel very like you're on, a, you're on an island. How did you deal with, so looking back at your careers, right, is there, did you, ha- how did you deal with it? Did you ever have to deal with regrets? What regrets? Well, re- yeah, re- I mean, the regret for me was, of course, didn't happen until long after I'd been gone out of the NFL when I actually found some, found some self-awareness. How did you find self-awareness? Well, accountability. I think the understanding that the reason why a lot of the situations didn't work wasn't because of the the team or the media it was it was me kind of how I behaved and the choices I made and I I just I blamed so many people for the mistakes 
or the things that went poorly. I never really looked at it and actually took full accountability for my part in it. Because you, you can't control what anybody else does. You can't control who cuts you, the media, what they do with anything. You only can control how you react to it. Or, but I just I couldn't see that forever. I just blamed so many people. Uh, when I played poorly and was criticized, I, you know, I got so defensive and I would battle back against the media, and then that would turn relationships with teammates sour. And I, I didn't just attach myself to Junior Seau and Rodney Harrison and follow them around and mm. learn how to be a professional and do it well. Because essentially, the quarterback of the football team is, a, is the CEO of, like a, of a Fortune 500 company. And I didn't approach it that way. I was so young, as, you were, as were you. I mean, I was 21 when I got drafted, and they gave me... Your they second said, pick in the draft, 21? And they gave me $31 million. How old were you, Steven? When I, my name was called, I was 20. When I signed, you were 20 years yeah, old. Yeah, and when I signed in July, my birthday in July, I just turned 21. Yeah. So, so let's go back to this, because I was 24. Yeah. What in the world is like at 21 years old? Like your life changes. Like this is all the college, all that stuff is over. Everything you've been doing to get to this. Now you're here. What in the world is that like for 21 year olds? Well, I didn't, uh, I didn't think money would change me. I was raised by a father with a lot of character and integrity and being frugal. And uh, for some reason, I thought I, I developed this idea that like success was money, power, and prestige. I, I just I saw that, and I thought that's what success was, and I, and I had it now. And so in turn, I was just like, yeah, this is how it's supposed to be. This is what I'd worked so hard for. This is where I'm supposed to be, and this is how it's supposed to be. Uh, that was the mindset instead of actually being grateful. <laughs> I thought, you know, I, I had the world at my feet right now and that's what, what it was going to look like. And playing in the NFL is very, very difficult. And I just... You think? Yeah. <laughs> it's very, so, very Repeat difficult. that again. Repeat yeah. that again just for somebody that's listening. Playing, <laughs> playing in the NFL is very, very difficult. For whatever reason, I thought it was going to be easy like it was in college. You know, and then when things started to... When I started to stumble and struggle, I had never, like most of us who have made it to that level, never really failed in our Correct, athletic yeah. careers. Yeah. And that can be very devastating for somebody who has never failed before and then, in my case, be out of the league in five years where I thought I would have an 18, 19-year career winning Super Bowls and being the, the face of a franchise. Uh, that's gone, and it's because of the personal choices I made. Just because you're a great football player doesn't make you a good person. I think wow. that... That's, I didn't real. I didn't see it that way. I just, I thought I was better than you because I played this this sport and that, um, I was this famous and I was the second pick in the NFL draft. I just, I thought I was better than you because of that, and it took me a long time and had to be humbled in a way that made me understand that this was a was a, uh, a gift to be able to do what we were going to get to do, right. and I didn't take advantage of it. So that's my regret, right? I didn't, I didn't take advantage of probably the greatest thing that we'll ever have happened to me mm -hmm. until, of course, what I figured out later in life. But, I mean, this was an unbelievable opportunity, and I, and I wasted it. So that's my, that's my biggest regret. Mm -hmm. As uh, I'm coming to you in a second, but something came to my mind for legends that, that do have regrets, because you, you can't go back, but you do need to get over it, right? And so one of the things I would suggest any legends that's listening is probably write yourself a letter. And that letter would include... Whatever you're disappointed, whatever you thought you should have done that you didn't do, or if you got distracted while playing and you thought your career ended because of that, or you were blaming others, as you said, write yourself a letter admitting that, confessing that, 
And then at the end of that letter said, okay, I acknowledge it and I forgive you. And then sign off on it. So the current players that are going to hear, hear this, just the other thing, Ryan and Steven, the current players that are going to hear this podcast, they are going to now get some wisdom from you guys. So, Stephen, what was it like being that first round of having the money, the moolah, the cheddar, and the cheese? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think for me, being that young, I grew up, we had to share everything. So I just shared it. And in, in, in the sense of not like entourage and a lot of friends like that, um, it was more so both of my sisters are 13, 11 years older than me, and they both oh, wow. were young mothers, right? Right. So then my mom and dad worked in the casinos in Las Vegas, so they were always working around the shift. So to have two young, to have sisters that are young women in their lives with four children apiece, it's almost like I stepped in the role of being a father, father. Wow. for my nieces and nephews. So I'm, I look up at 2021, 20, I'm taking care of 10 people. And then, wow. like Ryan said, you never think it's gonna end, or you think that this is just, this is just what I deserve because all the hard work I've put in and, you know, God shine, he smiled on me, right? And um, when you do that, I realize that what we think is a blessing tend to be enabling and, and hampering others in their development as people. And I think and on my situation was a little different. I surrounded myself with a lot of the boys, right, the yes men that would tell me how great I was. Wow. And when I'd be messing up and not doing the right thing, the people that you know, held me accountable or gave me constructive criticism, I would push away out of my life and I, I surrounded myself with these people that saw me as the golden goose and weren't going to tell me no, right? They were going to always tell me yes, tell me how great I was and I kept them in my life because I wanted that affirmation rather than, you know, being shown a mirror and seeing me messing up in a way that, and to your point exactly, it affected me negatively because I had these people not with my best interest at heart at all. It was all about them and getting what they wanted out of the out of the situation, out of the relationship where I needed to be focused and I needed to hear these things that I struggled with that coaches were telling me or the administration and I, I wouldn't listen to because my the guys I surrounded myself were just simply going, you know, thumbs up, Ryan. You know, you're you're the best, man. Ryan, you mentioned you had your boys and then you had the accountability with your epiphany, your eye opening. Were there voices from different people that you look back and said, because the, the awesome thing about being older you can remember the voices that were accurate, the voices that really loved you and didn't really care how you felt. Because, you know, we can, we can pout, right? right. Yeah. Am I the only one, man? No, no, right? no, no, no. Like, you know, you coming around, giving me all that negativity and all that kind of stuff. Were there any voices from that you can recall looking back? Oh, yeah, they were, they were kind of on point. Uh, Junior, Junior Sal. Really? Yeah, he was... And Rodney, Rodney Harrison, both those guys, they, they welcomed me in with open arms. And then when things started to slide downhill uh, for me, I just kind of, I, I put a shield up to them and listened to, like I talked about, the people that were in my ear um, rather than actually take some accountability and try to figure it out. Like I, I said before, I should have just, I should have followed them both around like, lost, like a lost puppy. Mm and learn how to be a professional, because they did it for years and years and years at a very, very high level. I didn't approach it as the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, as the way I needed to. It was just, you were just a kid who got caught up in something that he was way over his head and wasn't ready for. Um, you know, I had the maturity level of a much younger man when I got 
exactly. all that money and was supposed to then be a leader of all these men, you know, people who were trying to put food on their on their uh, kitchen tables for their families, right. rather than this is just a crazy game that we're all just having fun with. You know, this was these were lifestyles. Real life, life. Yeah, and I. Uh, of course, we talk about those regrets, and those were the guys that were in my ear, right? John Carney as well. John Carney was a, I remember a story about him after things kind of got off to a rocky start, and there was some inspirational and motivational things he thought would be beneficial to me uh, as being a leader, so he put me in, a, in uh, into an introduction with Tony Robbins, and Tony offered a uh, for me to come out to his private island in Fiji for a weekend to go through some help. Sure. And I think my exact words were... Tony Robbins. <laughs> I got, you know, I, Tell us how you really yeah, feel, that's, right? That's, that's what it was at the time. I just because uh, you're not even thinking about no, like, I didn't, what can this do? No, it was uh, to me it was an attack, right? Anytime I got criticized, any constructive criticism for me it was a it was an attack on me as me showing that I was weak in some way. That's that's changed, and I, I think that it's a stigma that exists, and I think that. Vulnerability, especially as a big, strong football player, we're not supposed to exhibit that. Right. I mean, we just we're not vulnerable, and doing in a community like this has shown me that that there's vulnerability in this legends community. There's the ability to ask for help, and then the, this comes together as a group because we never did this all alone. We thought for a while we we made it to where we got to on all our own abilities, but right. there were so many people along the way that helped us, and now there has to be we have to be part of this huge tribe again. How did you bounce back? You know if. If, is there anything that you can think about your transition? Was there any bounce back? Was there anything, any challenge that you had you had to overcome any mindset, Stephen? Well, I think for me it was more so um, when I saw my dad when he was in the hospital that summer of 2015. We had that real heart to heart because we, you know, we were unsure. You know, surgery is surgery. You know, you never unsure if they're going to come out okay or the same. And we had a heart to heart about, you know, what his wishes were if something was to go wrong, and that you know, not being the the person that shouldered the financial burdens of the family, but to be the man and to kind of give that wisdom and knowledge to those that that will need it in the way he saw life and the way he envisioned his family to live on in generations. That helped me get in, get involved with veterans, and I began to as I saw the rigorousness and and how people went through the VA system and didn't have the a, a son that was an NFL player, um, what they had to go through just to get help. And many like us in the legends community, you know, they feel isolated. They feel like the country has turned away from them and stopped thinking about them. So what I did was, you know, once my dad was back healthy again, I got involved with me and my partner. We started something called Veterans Village. And I own a housing com community that we house homeless veterans. Oh, wow. And we ensure them that awesome. they... Thank you. And we ensure them that we get them in front of a doctor if they need it within 24 hours. Mm. So giving back in a sense of not only what my dad did, but it also helped me, in a sense, feel like about it, I'm part of a team again, you know. I get to sit down and talk to some of these veterans, and we just talk about anything. We could talk about, we could talk about their days in the military. I share stories about them in the locker room, and we just see the parallels. And those walls, you know, no matter the gender, the race, no matter, you know, the background, all that comes down when people just realize, you know, that we're all the same and we have, you know, essentially the same kind of, day-to-day and -day in, in, in worries that, you know, we all share. One of the things I also encourage uh, when you're feeling that way, when you're feeling a certain way, man, go now, be with other people who are less fortunate, man. Like, 
Thanksgiving, go feed the homeless, right? Because it gives you a different perspective. Does that make sense, guys? Like This is part of, so, you know, just because I, when I went to a prison cell, um, didn't mean anything changed in me, right? Right. You know, just because I, you removed, I was a drug addict uh, addicted to opiate painkillers, and just because you removed that from my life didn't mean I, I got better. There had to be a conscious change. Right. And about 26 months in, my roommate, who God blessed me with, uh, came to me and he felt comfortable enough to get on me about how I had my head. You mean bit. your roommate from college? No, my roommate in, in prison. In prison. Yeah. Okay. He so came. your cellmate. Yes. Gotcha. I, don't, I, never I know y'all don't refer to. I never used. I'm it just that doing way. that. I'm doing that yeah. so people are yeah. know. My and cellmate they it too. Yeah. Uh, came to me and he yelled at me about how I didn't understand how I had my head buried in the sand, how I didn't understand the value I had. Wow. Now this was a, this was an Iraqi Afghanistan um, war veteran, really? who was my roommate, and he yeah. said, "This is what we're going to do." He said. You don't understand the value you have to the men in here, but for when you get out, um, because you're going to get out at some point, Ryan, I was just resigned to the fact that I was okay wow. staying in there. And he said, we're going to go down to the library and we're going to help uh, these uh, prisoners who don't know how to read learn how to read. This is a, this is this story, when you were telling your story right there, it's identical, right? I was so prideful that I was this famous football player sitting in a prison cell. I was the victim, and I had a guy who had been of service, the greatest sacrifice of service, being a veteran, tell me this is what we're going to go do. And we went and we uh, started helping these guys read. And then before I knew it, I was there for three weeks, four weeks, and then I was the substance abuse counselor's TA. And I figured out that I, my foundation of when I got out of prison was going to have to be around service. Otherwise, I was just going to circle back and be the same person I'd always wow. been, right? And that's where it stemmed from. And that's what I do now. I work in the recovery community uh, all over this country. We try to help people get treatment. I work with veterans just like Stephen we were talking about. We did had something in common. He has these housing for vets in uh, Las Vegas. I have a, a foundation uh, that works with vets and current or former NFL players. We, put, we bring them together. It's called MVP, Merging Vets and Players, because the transition is so similar. We'd never, A, we never think we're going to do anything as important again as they do as being a combat veteran and us as an NFL player. And they also, you lose this team, you know, you lose this team. So we bring each other together, and we didn't realize, because NFL players just look up to and respect our veterans, and the veterans just look up and respect to our, our NFL athletes, and wow. we brought them together. So, I mean, this is, wow. this is what exactly what the Legends community is about. If we don't run into each other today, we don't even know about what we are both trying to do to be of service, because I defy anybody, especially any NFL former player out there who's struggling, I defy you to go be of service during the day and not lay your head down at night in a peaceful way and sleep well. I, I, it, it just can't, it doesn't happen. When you put yourself to the side and, and, and make it about somebody else, you are at peace. You just are. Sometimes our perceptions cause us to be ungrateful. Sure. Like people say, well, now you're with the, the greatest show on the turf. Man, you got to be loving it. I was loving it when I got an opportunity to win four games yeah. because I had the proper perspective. It's only 1% of us. From the outside world, perspectively, they said I was the biggest, at the time, they said I was the biggest bust. Yeah. And that, I didn't have your wherewithal or strength to look at it as like, no, I'm, do, I'm, I'm in the 1%. I do now. Correct. Now yeah. I can look at it. I'm from the state of Montana, where there's been one person ever drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. One? Wow. One. And that's me. Wow. So there are more first. Oh. There are more first. There's, there's only been one First round draft pick out of the Native state of Montana. Born Montana. Montanian. Yes. 
we talking? And that's you? And you're talking to me. There are more first-round draft picks in the Manning family than the whole state of Montana ever. <laughs> All right? So, and I still didn't ever see, I never saw that. I never saw it as, the, like you talked about, that perspective of like, I just, I saw the end of it like I was just this terrible failure and that I didn't belong with either one of you. Sitting at a table with either one of you five years ago, I wouldn't have been able to do because I would have felt less than and judged and I would have to find a way to alter my mood in that moment. And it usually involved some kind of substance where I had to drink a lot or I had to use an opiate to make me not feel those those awful feelings. And I know a lot of guys go through that. Whether they, and I found this out, especially being in the Legends community, I found out that even guys who played 18 years and won two Super Bowls or something like that, they still feel like there was something they didn't, they didn't quite Correct. get, yeah. right? right? And that opened my eyes to a ton of things like, well, yeah, we're all the same. Anybody that's played in this league, they're part of 1%. So wherever they're from, they're the one percenters. So even if they didn't play as long as they thought they should have played, even if they had a cup of coffee, there are very few where they came from could even say that. So one of the things we want to do from these kind of, this kind of podcast is to remind that legend, man, this is who you really are. This is what you're capable of doing. And now let's get the right perspective here. Let's realize, man, I am. You right. You know what? I didn't play maybe six games, but I'm part of 1%. So if you can be a part of the 1% in this group, don't tell me you can't now transition into something that's your passion and do well at it. Does that make sense? It Steven? does. I think that's, I really need, that message needs to be dealt home, especially with social media, right? Because most of us, we didn't play with it. And it came at the tail end of my career. Twitter was really big, and now, now you have Instagram. But we have people behind these keyboards could say any and everything. Correct. And they could tear you down. And as much as you have that wherewithal, you know, like you're saying, that you are 1%, you only play six games, there's somebody that's going to try to remind you that you didn't have Correct. a storybook career, right? So it, it is really good. It's really important to have this alleged community because there's enough people out there that's going to try to tear it down. They could do it from a keystroke. Yeah. So, and I want to say something to you, and I don't think you ever knew this, and it's funny that we're doing this interview together. You mentioned those hard years in Arizona. Well, after you left and retired, those same years followed me in St. Louis. And how did I stay professional? How did I keep my head down? I remember you running half gassers when we used to do 9 on 7. When the offense was up and the defense was resting, you would do your half gassers because, one, you were conditioning yourself, but, two, you were just locked in. You was always going to be primed and ready. Mm -hmm. And I started doing that after you left. Oh, wow. I did it in Atlanta, I did it in New England, I did it everywhere I went because you set that role model, you set that, you set that bar for me that no matter how bad it is, no matter who is, you know, it's November and December we beat up, there's no excuse. Right. There's no excuse, you know, and, and you really set that bar for me and I never had a chance to share that with you and never told well, anybody you. that where I got that from. You know, thank you for sharing that. I, for me, Ryan, it really started when I gave my life to Christ around my junior year. So my identity, that's the key, man. A lot of times this fo football becomes who we are versus what we do. So no matter where it was, it's the other thing is every day I want to encourage legends, man, find things to be grateful about, right? Just something, man. If it's just you just woke up, be grateful about it. If if you got a wife that's, that still love you, be grateful about it, right? You know, we talked about what I thought success was, and we wanted to get into. Yes. What's transitioned for me to success now is 
are three, three simple things to those, right? It's accountability, the understanding that whatever I do, there's consequences and I'm responsible for, for anything I do. I have control over that, not what the media says or what a guy on social media says. I actually have control over, it's exactly what you did. No matter what team you played for and how bad things were, you watched Aeneas do what he did and you had control over what you did in practice that day. And the second thing for me is spirituality. You know, I just, I didn't have spirituality in my life. I thought I was for a long time bigger than the game and then below it, uh, didn't understand that there was something so much greater than me out there that, that gave me that. And the third thing was community. And it's funny that it's called the Legends Community. Um, I live within a recovery community, a, a Legends Community. I'm, I'm, you know, for an organization when I left the NFL and was so resentful of to actually be back in the fold and understanding like they asked me last year to go to the combine and mentor the young quarterbacks at the combine and can you imagine 20 years later that that I would be the one right doing that is a is a 180 degree lifestyle change thank you Ryan how do you redefine success yeah uh, I, I you know it's an interesting question because I'm still I think I'm still defining it sure. I'm still going through that process you know what I, I tell you the things I, I do take pride in I still take pride very much so in providing and protecting my family teaching my two sons and my daughter that hard work and dedication typically gets you the outcome that you want. And even if you don't get the outcome you want, you could be proud of the effort you put into it. And then the, the last thing uh, is combining with spirituality is loving. I think it's important to always show your loved ones that you love them and tell them that, show in your actions. Because for, for so long, Aeneas, that I played the game so angry. That I would channel, I channeled the game. <laughs> <laughs> you I always would, seem to be smiling, man, in your <laughs> anger, man. <laughs> I would channel a week worth of whatever stresses I had, and I would just take it out on Sunday. Win, lose, or draw, it was an exertion of me letting out frustration. And that's just how I saw it. And to not have that Sunday and not have that ability to just let out that frustration to being very physical with other special uh, talented men, I, I, I then found myself getting into yoga and getting into those things to bring my, my bring that anger down, bring that to just harness it and channel that anger into love. You know, thank you guys for the transparency. Thank you guys for being a part of just an outstanding podcast. Thank Love you. you. Thank, thank Appreciate you. Appreciate it. It's been awesome, man. Best is yet to come. This has been the NFL Legends Podcast. To provide feedback or request a topic for discussion, email us at nfllegends at nfl.com. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.